Welcome to the Christ Church Irving Podcast with Pastors Keith Luttrell and Greg Beecham. More information about our church, including service times and location, can be found at our website, ChristChurchIrving.com. En el principio ya existía el verbo, y el verbo estaba con Dios, y el verbo era Dios. Él estaba con Dios en el principio. Por medio de Él, todas las cosas fueron creadas. Sin Él, nada de lo creado llegó a existir. En Él estaba la vida, y la vida era la luz de la humanidad. Esta luz resplandece en las tinieblas, y las tinieblas no han podido extinguirla. Vino un hombre llamado Juan. Dios lo envió como testigo para dar testimonio de la luz, a fin de que por medio de él todos creyeran. Juan no era la luz, sino que vino para dar testimonio de la luz. Esa luz verdadera, la que alumbra a todo ser humano, venía a este mundo. El que era la luz ya estaba en el mundo, y el mundo fue creado por medio de él, pero el mundo no lo reconoció. Vino a lo que era suyo, pero los suyos no lo recibieron. Mas a cuantos lo recibieron, a los que creen en su nombre, les dio el derecho de ser hijos de Dios. Estos no nacen de la sangre, ni por deseos naturales, ni por voluntad humana, sino que nacen de Dios. Y el verbo se hizo hombre y habitó entre nosotros, y hemos contemplado su gloria, la gloria que corresponde al Hijo unogénito del Padre, lleno de gracia y de verdad. Esta es palabra de Dios. Thank you, Maria. Let me have that microphone. Thank you. Hey, good morning, everybody. I'm Greg. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're joining us online, we're glad to have you with us. And we're starting a new series today, as Hunter was telling you, on the book of John, and particularly just looking at snippets of the life of Christ from today until the resurrection, which we'll talk about on Easter Sunday. And so we're going to be looking at various passages from John over the next uh, few weeks. And I would encourage you to be reading the Gospel of John between now and Easter. So if you are um, not a big reader and you're super busy and not very ambitious, just try to, try to space it out between now and Easter that, to, to know that you will have read the entire book of John between now and then. And maybe you're a, a big reader and you love to read and you've got plenty of time on your hand. Maybe you could read the book of John every day between now and Easter. And somewhere in between, I hope you'll find your sweet spot. And that as you read about the life of Jesus from the book of John, that you'll be able to ask yourself, what is God revealing about himself as I'm reading this and seeing Jesus the Christ? Today, we're going to start with John chapter 1, and I'm really only going to focus on one verse, verse 14. In verse 14, it says this. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, there's a lot of concepts in this verse, and I'm going to try to touch on most of them this morning. The first one is that John regularly calls Jesus the Word. You might have heard that in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
And John's talking about Jesus and calling Jesus the Word. Here in verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt for a while among us. Now, why would John call Jesus the Word? What, what's significant about that? Well, words are what we use to get to know somebody. Words are how we describe ourselves, how we talk about how we're feeling or thinking. Words, uh, you can have great ideas, but if you're not willing to express them, then those ideas are meaningless. Words are how we, we start good things and stop bad things. Words are how, look, you know what a word is. It's how you communicate. I was at a doctor this week. I've had a little... Um, pain in the shoulder, and so I had an MRI, and now I was going to the shoulder doctor, and I walked in. The nurse took me into the room um, on Thursday, and she said, I've got your MRI. The scan is right here on the computer, and the doctor will be in in a minute. And I went, okay, cool. And the nurse leaves, and there's the computer, and there's the scan. And so I thought, well, this is kind of cool. I've never seen the images from an MRI before. And so I go over and I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm looking. And I thought, that is the weirdest shoulder I've ever seen. That didn't look like a shoulder at all. I, I thought the bones would be bigger. I thought the shoulder point, that looks, that little bitty scrawny bones. How in the world, that just doesn't look right to me. I, I can't believe that my shoulder looks like that. Well, there's a, there's a little piece of words up on the top that you can read about the thing. And I thought, I'm no doctor, but I wonder if I can figure out what's wrong with my shoulder just from what this says. And I look up at the top, and it says, Beecham, comma, Bob. <laughs> and I read down a little, little further, and it says, left knee. And I realized, yeah, okay, that looks like a knee and not a shoulder. This is making a lot more sense. Now, imagine if I had not used my words. And the doctor had walked in and said, oh, I see by your scan here, you, you've got some torn tendon in your knee. Let me look at your knee. And I don't say anything. She twists and turns and twists and says, we're going to have to operate. We have to operate on your knee. I'm going to schedule it next week. You're going to be on crutches for the next 12 weeks. If I had said nothing at all, I might have shown up here today on crutches. <laughs> no, of course I didn't do that. I used my words. I said, look, th that's, that's Bob Beecham's knee, and I'm Greg Beecham, and I'm here for a shoulder. And sure enough, she scrolled up, pushed, boom, there's a shoulder. Now that looks like a shoulder. Big difference between a knee and a shoulder. And the reason that she could care for my shoulders because I use my words. Now, when God wants to show himself, he's going to send a word so that we can know and see who God is. Because see, okay, let's have an experiment this morning. We may need the lights up on this just a little bit. Some of you, in fact, probably most of you are introverts and you just, keep, you just keep sitting down, okay? Don't stand up if you're an introvert. And some of you would never want to walk up here on stage and talk to a pastor during the message on a Sunday morning. If that's true, you just sit down. But some of you are extroverts. You wouldn't mind coming up here and having a conversation with me. If that's you, would you stand up? Would you stand up if you wouldn't mind coming up here? Okay, you. Come right up here. Okay. 
Here's your microphone. You talk into that so people can see you. Okay. Hello. Okay. Nice to meet you. I'm Greg. Victoria. Victoria, you have to speak in the microphone. Victoria. Yeah. Okay. You're Victoria. Yes. It's good to see you. Thank you. Nice to How see you. long have you been at Christ Church? Four years. Really? Yes. Okay. So, what's your favorite part about Christ Church? The worship, the people, yeah. the family oriented place. Yeah, it's a cool place, isn't it? Yes. So, do you live in Irving? Uh, uh, yes. Well, in the middle, Dallas and Irving. Between Dallas and Irving. Yes. Okay. Do you work? Yes. What do you do? I'm an accountant. You are? Yes. Really? Yes. <laughs> She's an accountant. I only say that because I was a finance major in college, and I had to take cost accounting twice because I failed it the first time. It's hard. <laughs> I know. It's a true story, by the way. I'm not proud of it. It was a lot less about I just didn't care. Um, <laughs> so, best, funnest hobby? Uh, cooking. Really? Yes. What's your favorite thing to cook? Um, comfort foods. I don't have a specific uh, favorite, but I love to cook. Like big foods. Like, like uh, desserts or no, no popcorn? desserts. I don't, I don't bake. You don't bake. <laughs> no, no. You just cook. Yes, I comfort just cook. food. Yes. Fried chicken. Yes, fried chicken, chicken pot pie, uh, lasagna. An accountant <laughs> who can cook. It's pretty good, isn't it? All right. Hey, thank you for thank coming you. up here. Thank you. Let's give her a big hand, would you? Now, look, here's the deal. I know her better just because we've had the... We all know her better now, right? You could all know that she's an accountant who loves to cook, right? And the reason we know that is because she was willing to stand up here and talk to us and tell us a little bit about her. So she revealed a part of who she is because she's willing to use words to do that. When God wants you to know what he's like... When God wants you to know about him, when God wants to reveal himself, instead of letting people just talk about him and some of them get it right and some of them get it wrong, when God wants to reveal himself, John's saying that he revealed himself through the word. Because when we look at the life of Jesus, what we're seeing is the very essence and the very nature of God. We see God best through the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. He said, I don't speak anything except that which comes from the Father. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if you want to know the most that you can ever know about God, you look at the Son. So when you're reading the book of John, one of the things you're doing is you're not just reading it like you know a fictional book or just to waste time. You're looking for attributes of God that you're seeing through the life of Jesus himself. That's the exercise that you should be undergoing every single day. God, reveal yourself to me as seen through the Son. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's impossible to know everything about an infinite God. It's just impossible. But we can know most of the important stuff by looking at Jesus. The physical and historical picture of an eternal God. So then it says, 
the Word became flesh. Now, that's an important part of this whole thing, too, because God is spirit. We worship Him in spirit and truth. And God is a spirit that is everywhere all at once because He is spirit. But He left that spiritual realm and He came, the Son came down, born as a baby with flesh, with blood. When he cut himself, he would bleed. When he was on the cross, he bled. He was a young baby who cried. He was a young boy who went through puberty. He was a carpenter, and if he took the hammer and hit his nail, it hurt. If he twisted his ankle, he limped. When his best friend died, he cried. When he was rejected by his family... That made him sad. You see, what the Hebrew writer says is that we don't have a God that's just removed and remote. No, we have one who can sympathize with us because he has been here in the flesh. Whatever you're going through, when you pray in Jesus' name, you're praying to one who knows where you are, knows where you have been. He's one that knows exactly what you're feeling that's causing you to do or to feel or to act the way you're doing or feeling or acting. And the only difference between you and him is that he was able to, to, because of his relationship with God, he was able to move through life better than you and me. I, I at times need all of us as humans will act out and do things that the Bible calls sin because we're trying to react to the pain and chaos. The only difference between us and Jesus is that he was able to see the pain and the chaos and be able to move through it because he was without sin. Let me give you the most drastic example of this. When he says it was, that he was the word became flesh, it means he, he knows what you've been through. The most drastic example I can think of are the times in my life where something really big has gone on and I have prayed and prayed and prayed about something really, really, really big and I didn't hear God at all. I don't think I'm the only one that's experienced that. When Jesus was in the garden, he prayed, God, if there is any way, please let this cup pass from me. And you know what he heard? Crickets. In fact, it got worse. So bad that he was arrested, put on trial, deemed guilty even though he had done nothing put on a cross, a cruel death to suffer for the sins of humanity, even though he was without sin. It got worse before it got better, but it did get better because about a month later, he was then taken up and he was glorified. And today we sing the glory of God and we see the glory of God through the image of his son. And sometimes you pray, God, don't let this happen. And it happens. You can know because Jesus has been there that it may be that you are just in front of feeling the same glory from God that he too felt. Because God works his best when we're in despair.
How do we see the glory of God? Well, one of the most encouraging ways that I see it as a pastor is the guy that, the, the couple that walk in and they think their marriage is on the rocks and they just don't know how it could get any better. And then God intervenes, full of grace and truth. And all of a sudden, their lives are put back together and they're able to praise Him and we see the glory of God. The guy that walks in and he's, he frankly didn't want to walk into church because he, he feels guilty. He knows that, that this thing that has got him is almost, he's almost a slave to this thing. And it makes him feel guilty. And he thinks everybody's going to look down on him. But he comes in anyway because he, he has no other solution, no other hope. So he comes in here and he finds the glory of God. And he, he gives his life to Christ. And he's born again to, to begin a new, to allow the spirit to live in him that allows him to move past what he was in the past to live a future life with God. That's seeing the glory of God at work in our place. And we see story after story after story of things that are happening here. It's the glory of God full of grace and truth. So he says, the word became flesh and then it said it dwelt among us so that we could see his glory. Now, that's going back to a, a picture of Moses when he was up with, uh, with God and it was around the time of the Ten Commandments, right? And that part of the story. And Moses said to God, God, let me see your glory. And God says, I can't do that. It's too big for you. You wouldn't be able to, you wouldn't survive it. And so Moses said, please let me see it. And so he says, okay, I'm going to hide you. And he hides in, in the King James Version. It says that he was hid in the cleft of the rock. And he was protected and guarded. And the glory of the Lord moved past him. And when he came out, and was, when Moses was revealed to the people, they were afraid because of the way he looked, because he was radiating because of the Shekinah glory of God. And, and God said, I'm going to dwell among the people. So you build me this thing. You build me a place so that I can come and I can dwell with my people. What he said was, I'm going to tabernacle with my people. And that's what they called this thing. They called it a tabernacle. Later on, they built a temple where God could be. And so if you wanted to see God, you went to the tabernacle or you went to the temple. But now Jesus comes and John is very intentional to say he came to dwell. He came to tabernacle among the people. And it changed the course of history because from that point on, Jesus said, look, and in John chapter 17, Jesus said, it's better for me to go because if I go, I'm going to send the spirit who's going to come and tabernacle in your bodies. So we don't have to go to a temple to see God. If you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in your body. He lives inside of you. You are the temple of God. God is tabernacling in your life right now. So he doesn't just come and go as, as you need him or as you call on him. He's always there. He's always with you. He is always present. Always. That's why the scripture says, look, we, gotta, we need to take care of the body. It says in a couple of different ways. For instance, it says we're not going to go get drunk because you wouldn't go into a temple to get drunk, right? 
Instead, be drunk on the Holy Spirit. He's right there inside of you. He'll make you feel better than any of the things that alcohol can do. In another place in Scripture, it says, be careful that, that you not have sexual relations outside of marriage. Because you wouldn't go into a temple and have sex with a, the temple prostitute. And therefore, we're going to treat our body as holy. Why? Because God lives here. He dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Now, that is truth. And I find it interesting that John goes ahead and sets up for us the human condition. Because in verses 11 and 12, he just plays out what's going on even in our world right now. In verse 11, it says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. You see, it is possible for you to reject Jesus. It's possible for you to say, yeah, I hear what you're saying. I just don't need that in my life. I don't need him. That's possible. But he goes on to say, but to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If you believe in the name of Jesus, if you call on him as your Savior and Lord, you're a son of the Most High King. You're a daughter of the Most High King. He is your Father. He is the perfect Father that you may not have had here in this earth. He's the one that loves you enough to send his Son to die for you. I was thinking yesterday, we were out doing some yard work, and I thought, you know, what does it mean to me to be a son of God? Why, why is that important to me? And I thought, you know, the first thing that came to my mind was money. And I just said the M word. So don't think this is going to be about asking you to give more money to the church. It's not about that, all right? I immediately thought of money. I thought, you know, if, if he owns all the money in the world and he's my heavenly father, that's, that's the reason why we don't worry about money. We just don't worry about it. We're able to help people when we need to. We're able to, to, to spend where we feel like God's leading us to spend. We're able to use our money in a way that is good, both for us and our family, but for our community as well. We just don't worry about it. You know why we don't? We haven't worried about money in years. It's not because we make a lot of money. It's because we know who owns all the money. And he's, he's my father. A lot of, I don't really worry about anything. A, a lot of people in our day, and I'm, I'm not going to make light of this, but a lot of people in the world today are, are just worried sick about the coronavirus. Worried sick about it. And I don't, look, I don't want to minimize it. We've got to do the right thing, the smart thing. Um, we've got to wash our hands more than we've ever washed our hands. That's basically what they tell you to do. Be careful and wash your hands. I bet I've washed my hands 40 times this morning. You know why? Because I'm a pastor, so I'm shaking hands all morning. And I shake about the fifth hand, and I'm like, i got to go wash. <laughs> Some of that is to protect me. Some of that is to protect you, right? I don't want to be the guy that's passing it. I want to just wash off. So I've, been, I've washed like crazy. But you know what I'm not doing? I'm not worrying about the coronavirus. I'm not going to worry about it. There's nothing I can do about it. It's out of my control. There's no reason for me to worry about it. Now, I'm going to be smart. I'm going to be careful. There are some places that I may not go, but I'm not worrying about it. 
You know why? Because God's in control. And I trust Him. And if I get the coronavirus and I'm one of the, the very few who pass away from the coronavirus, you know what I'm going to do? I am going to skip and dance all the way through the gates of heaven. How bad is that going to be? Now, look, I don't want to get it. If you've got it, don't, don't shake my hand. I don't want it. I got grandkids coming in August. I want to stick around for a while. I'm not purposefully getting it, but I'm not purposely worrying about it either. Right? Because I know that the one who is in control, the one who is in charge, he's going to take me someday. And if he takes me through the coronavirus this year or SARS before or all the other, every year there seems to be another new thing. And this is, I, I'm not, look, let's, let's do two things. Okay? As the body of believers, let's do two things. Let's do three things about the coronavirus. Number one, let's wash our hands more than we've ever washed them before. Okay, fair enough. Number two, let's pray for the people who are affected. Families of those who have lost their lives and those who are sick. They're worried sick today because they've been tested positive. Let's, let's pray for them. And number three, let's not worry about it. Because we know who's in control. And we've seen his glory. And his glory is good. Why does, why does he matter? You know why he matters? Because you matter. Because you matter to him enough that he would leave the throne room of heaven and come and live in our world. Live amongst us. You matter enough that he would willingly go to a cross and die because of, to pay the price for your sin because you matter. And people come in here for all kinds of different reasons. But if you've come in today and you feel broken or hurt or shame or guilt, you're in the midst of pain or trouble or trial or chaos if you come in today and you're looking for answers, God has a word for you today. And that word became flesh. And he dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father as of the Son, full of grace and truth. And through the course of our series, what you're going to see is that he does matter because you matter and you matter because he matters. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, Amen.